Good morning and welcome. Welcome whether you're here in church with us or whether you're online. And uh, I'm really enjoying this slow walk through Mark, looking at the ways, the works and the ways of Jesus. And I hope you are too. And if you don't get enough on Sunday, you can listen to a podcast on Wednesday at 2.30, where we take a deeper dive into the passage that we've talked about today. And we've got about a half an hour to look at different aspects and different layers of meaning within the passage. So I invite you to enjoy it and uh, to join us on that Wednesday. And before I start, I wonder, have you ever had that experience where you read a passage, yes, you read the passage for the first time and you're allowed to speak as much as you like, Hannah, yes. <laughs> and the words seem to just be on fire and they burn into your heart and they're, they're so alive and full of power. And then as you go on with your walk with the Lord and you become more familiar with the Bible verses and Bible passages, it's not that they become dull, but it's just that you know what it's about and you know what to expect. And so you don't have that same sort of burning feeling when you read a passage. And maybe this passage today is one that you've read many times and haven't really sat in. But if you do take the time to dwell in a passage, then God is going to reveal to you a richness in there and that there are layers of meaning that he has for us. Yeah, there are. And as I say layers, I think of the donkey in Shrek where he said, you know, if you want to get to know me, it's like peeling an onion, the layers off an onion. And then he says, no, it's more like a parfait, you know, one of those desserts that's got different layers in it. And so, you know, the first layer is probably very sweet and it's easy to digest. And some passages in the Bible are like that for us. But then you get to another layer and there's maybe raspberries in it and they're a bit sour and they're okay with the sweetness. It's a nice sort of balance. But then you might get to a layer that has nuts in it. And if you swallow a nut whole, you're gonna choke on it. And sometimes we read passages in the Bible and they seem very hard to us and they don't align maybe with the way that we see God and we choke on them a bit. And I think this passage today in Mark 10, one to 12 is a bit one of those hard sayings that's in the Bible. We need to really chew on it. We really need to understand what God is saying. And I, I have struggled this week with this passage because I want to be faithful and honour the truth of what God is saying, but I also want to honour the truth of his grace and his mercy. And sometimes when truth is preached without grace and mercy, it just brings condemnation. Because the truth of God is meant to lead us to his love, to his forgiveness, to his fullness of life. It's not meant to put us in a place where we feel condemned and guilty. And so the, the verse that particularly concerns me is Mark 10, 11, where Jesus says to his disciples, if, a, if any man divorces his wife and remarries, he commits adultery against her. He commits adultery against his wife. And the same applies for a woman. 
And this, this is a hard saying. It speaks to the seriousness that God takes in the covenant of marriage. And it's a hard saying because divorce is so common these days. And, and no one wants a divorce. No one, when they go into a marriage, thinks, okay, in a couple of years, I'm going to get a divorce. No, they enter marriage as if this is going to be a lifetime partnership, planning out where they'll live, what they'll do together, children. That's the whole purpose of entering into that marriage covenant. But, you know, some marriages are toxic. They're quite unhealthy and they're abusive. And I do not believe that God expects us to accept abuse, even in marriage. And this is consistent with God's understanding of violence. Abuse is violence. And throughout the Bible, God speaks against violence. Now if you do any research on Christian commentary on divorce, one of the key verses you'll always hear is from Malachi where God says, I hate divorce. But what they miss out is the second half of that passage where God says, I hate violence. I hate divorce and I hate violence. And violence is detestable to the Lord. And that is a theme that we need to remember as we look at this passage. And violence against women is particularly taken as being an offence to God. In Deuteronomy 25, 25, it talks about when a man rapes a woman. Yes, I know this is unpleasant, but when a man rapes a woman, that is taken in the Bible to be the same offence as murder. Now that's not our justice system today, but in the Bible, if you rape somebody, then you are charged with the offence of murder. And that goes for women and for men. Even if men are abused, or when men are abused, the same applies. God abhors any form of, of abuse. And the Bible doesn't use the term domestic abuse as such, but it does use the term oppression. And oppression is the crushing of any person. It's the denial of their personhood. It's the misuse and abuse of power and authority. And God also hates oppression. And Jesus, in Luke 4.18, when he's talking about why he has come, one of the things he says is that I've come to release the oppressed. So these are godly principles that apply in any situation. And we need to have that in the back of our mind as we look at this passage. And I want to say that any of you who have suffered abusive marriages that, and are now divorced, that I don't believe God expected you to stay in that abusive marriage. So I want you to understand that God is telling us the truth, but he also has a heart and he understands the things that we struggle with. Because God designed marriage as a reflection of his covenant with us. And his covenant with us is unchanging. He sent his son to die for our sins so that all of the things that we do that don't live up to the glory of God, they're covered by Jesus. 
And he brings us into a relationship with Father God. And that relationship lasts for eternity. And that's his covenant, that's his promise to us forever. And he doesn't change. He is faithful to that covenant even if we are not faithful. He is trustworthy even if we betray his trust. His love doesn't change, it is unchanging. And that's what he wanted us to experience in the marriage covenant. He wanted it to be a place where two people could come together and mutually support each other. Mutually allow and encourage the other person to fulfill the whole of their being as God wanted them to be. And so marriage was meant to be a safe place, a place of comfort, but also a place of of challenge and empowerment. But of course, many marriages fall short of that. So as we look at this passage today, we need to realise and keep in mind that God wants the best for us in all situations. And it's not his intention to condemn us to a life of abuse, but he also wants us to appreciate the potential of a life-giving marriage as a reflection of his covenant with us. So let's look at the passage. And there, there are two points that I wanna bring out today. So I'm just going to read it, Mark 10, two to nine. Some Pharisees came and tested him, that's Jesus, by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, replied Jesus. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So are they no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. So in the beginning of the passage from two to nine, here the Pharisees are once again trying to catch Jesus out. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to make a controversy. They're trying to justify themselves. And I will acknowledge that the Pharisees did spend a lot of time reading the Old Testament. But as we've seen in Mark before, they tended to get nitpicky. They would pick about things that were not central to the intention of God. And here they are before the Son of God, who knows the Old Testament perfectly, and they have really the arrogance and the self-righteousness to question him and try to trip him up. So they come with a very unhealthy motive. And they were arguing over the conditions of a man to divorce his wife. They were looking at the details for when it was just and right for a man to divorce his wife. And it stems from something that was written by Moses in Deuteronomy 24, which was to deal with a dreadful practice that was happening in the camp at the time. So what men were doing, they were married, but they would see another woman 
and they'd think, oh, she looks a bit better than my wife, and they'd send their wife away and they'd bring the other woman in. And they would use any excuse. It could be that she burnt the dinner. They bring this other woman in and they're happy with her for a while and then they get tired of her and so they bring their wife back again. And so not only were they not honouring their marriage covenant, they were also putting women at risk. And so Moses wrote this section to say, if you send your wife away, you must write a certificate of divorce. In other words, you can't just do it unnoticed. You have to publicly declare by law that you are breaking the covenant. You are breaking the vow that you made before God. And for an Israelite to break a vow, that was really a dreadful thing. So it was quite a deterrent to what they were doing because they had to make it public. And it was also to protect women. So when Moses writes this law, it's not a license for divorce. It's to call men to come and be the be honouring of their marriage and to protect women. But the Pharisees are instead concentrating on the reasons for divorce. And it's partly because they were telling people that men had a right to divorce their wives and so they want to justify themselves. And they, they were, were telling people that basically for any reason you could divorce your wife at any whim. And so it's clear that Jesus says, you know, you've got it all wrong. Moses wrote that only because you're hard in your heart. It's not a license to divorce. It's, it's because you're hard in heart that you might need to divorce. But it's not God's intention. And so then we come to the, the passage where Jesus later says to his disciples, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Now, the, the disciples, even though uh, Jesus had talked about divorce before, they still didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was saying. And so here he just makes it very, very plain. If you do this, you commit adultery because adultery is a sin that they could understand. Now, part of the, the, the difficulty with this passage is that there's no exception. In some other passages in the Bible, there's if you divorce, except for this reason, then you commit adultery. But here Jesus is just saying it plainly, bluntly, if you divorce, you're committing adultery against your wife. So he's calling them to be accountable for their marriage. He's calling them to look at honouring their wives rather than finding a way for divorce. And this brings me to my second point that I wanna make today. And that's that they were looking at the wrong thing. They were focused on the wrong issue. And they were so consumed with arguing over these detailed conditions for when and what circumstances you could divorce that they lost the sight of God. They focused on the wrong thing. And I think, you know, we can look back and we can say, oh yeah, the Pharisees, you know, they, they always did that and don't realise that maybe we do it too. And I think it's hard for us when we're in the middle of something, when we're arguing an issue, to understand that really it's not the key issue that God is concerned about. It's not something that's 
it's central to the kingdom of God and to the life that God wants us to have. It's peripheral. It's a sideline issue. And for those of us who are a bit older like me, I think we can look back and see that there were some issues that were about in different times that are now just seem to be completely ridiculous. And one of them was in the late 60s when the hippie era was very coming to fruition. And men before then had short back and sides. But in this era, men started to grow their hair long. And this was seen as uh, radical. Um, if you had long hair, you were seen as a troublemaker, um, potentially uh, you know, undermining the whole system and convention of life as we know it. And people would say, oh, you can't tell a man from a woman anymore. And even churches would say, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to have a short back and sides. Even though I'm sure in their Sunday school pictures, they had Jesus with long hair. But somehow this was very important. And look, we look back and it just seems ridiculous now. But this was an issue that divided people and even Singapore as a country would not let you in if you were a man with long hair. You had to have a haircut if you wanted to get in. I mean, we have hindsight and we look back and we say, well, that's ridiculous. Otherwise you'd be in big trouble, Caleb. <laughs> and Joe. <laughs> And don't we love their long hair? But when we're in it, I think it's hard for us to see it. We can see that that was ridiculous. But I, I want to challenge you today. What are the issues? What are the things that you're concerned about that really are not of heavenly significance? I saw a movie some time ago about a young boy who had autism and what he would do would he would spin the plate. And he would spin the plate and watch it turn and watch the light and the play of light and listen to the sound and watch it finally wobble to the ground. And then he'd pick it up and he'd spin it again. And he would do it over and over and over and over and over again. He would spend hours spinning this plate and while he was doing that, he was calm, he was happy. He didn't have any outbursts. And so from the outside, it looked like this was a good thing for this child to do. But his mother ached to connect with him. She wanted him to see that there was a world outside of this tunnel vision that he had with spinning this plate. And she tried various things to try to connect with him. And one day she decided, well, I'll sit down beside him and I'll get a plate and I'll spin it myself, hoping that he would see out of the corner of his eye that someone was doing the same thing that he was doing, trying to connect with him. And I think God is like that with us. We are busy spinning plates and he comes and he sits down beside us and he spins the plate with us hoping that we will see who He is, hoping that he will, we will see that our tunnel vision is blocking us from seeing this beautiful world that is outside, a world of relationships, a world of, of just an imaginable beauty with God. God sent His Son 
to live on earth with us. And He wants us to take our eyes off those things that are distracting Him from Him. Because He wants us to live lives that are full of that freedom that He wants to give us from all our sin. So, what are you distracted by today? What are you, where are you spinning a plate? What's taking your attention away from God and what He wants in your life? And this passage today is definitely a commentary on marriage, divorce and remarriage. But there's also another layer in this passage and that is that we want to focus our whole lives, be living sacrifices to God. So I wanna come into a time of prayer now But if you are feeling convicted by God about your marriage, your divorce and your remarriage, then let me give you a picture of what forgiveness is like in the Kingdom of God. So you're a parent and you've been in the lounge room for a while and you come into the kitchen and you see your little four-year-old is sitting on the floor There's chocolate wrappers all around them. They've got chocolate all over their face, chocolate all around their hands, down their clothes, and there's even a chocolate handprint on the cupboard door. And the parent says to the child, did you eat that chocolate? And the child goes, no. And the parent goes, didn't I tell you not to have that chocolate before dinner? And the child goes, but I was hungry. And the parent picks the child up, cleans the chocolate off their face, off their hands, puts a nice clean new top on, cleans the mess that's on the floor and hugs the child. And the child is clean. And when God sees us, He sees us like that little child with sin all over us. And we can go, no, 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 I didn't sin. Or we can go, I had to sin, I had excuses. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself, it was just the way it was. But God just wants us to say, I'm sorry. And then He wants to clean us from that sin and He wants to give us the freedom because He doesn't want us to live in guilt. He doesn't want us to live with shame. That's not our God. If you're convicted about anything in this passage today, then just come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry and let Him fill you with His forgiveness, with His love, with His freedom and just lift that burden off you because He doesn't want you to live like that. And then if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then I challenge you to stop spinning your plate and to look to the side and look into Jesus' eyes and find that He has such compassion and love and mercy and grace for you that it will overwhelm you and He will welcome you into into His arms and you can enjoy the freedom and the love that He brings in knowing Him. And if you are a Christian, then the challenge for us is to ask God, ask the Spirit to convict us of where we're looking in the wrong place, where we've got our focus wrong. Come Lord God and focus ourselves so that we see who you are. And bless little Hannah as well. So Father God, you see 
You see everything in our heart. You see everything that maybe we're trying to hide from you, maybe even hide from ourselves, hide from other people, but you see it, Lord God. And you wanna take that burden off us. You wanna give us freedom. And so I pray, Lord, now, that as we come to you with open hearts, that you would fill us with your forgiveness and that we would know that freshness and love and grace for the first time in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you prompt us to turn our focus away from the things that are distracting us and focus on you. And again, discover the beauty and the love and the grace and the mercy, the provision, the protection, and also the correction from you, Lord God. So we just ask, Lord, that you minister now in this time in whatever way we need, in your precious name.